As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Targeted. True crime. Domestic violence. We tell stories of those who were targeted by domestic abuse and investigate cases of family violence using academic research to interpret the events. As a college professor, I think we need to stop making family violence a secret. Let's use our stories to help heal, and provoke change. Season three features the case of Josh Osborne, which is a story of abuse. When he woke up, she was abusing him. When he went to sleep, she was abusing him. So his abuse was nonstop. It didn't matter what he did. Yeah. It was nonstop. But it is also a story of hope. Targeted. True crime. Domestic violence. Listen to us for free on all of your favorite podcatchers. Peace, my friends. Peace. This podcast involves topics such as violence, sex, and mental illness. If this might disturb you or those around you, please reconsider. It's okay. Privacy and confidentiality have been protected with personal information removed when possible. If you ever feel unsafe or suicidal, please call your local crisis center, emergency services, or national hotline. In the U.S., the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 800-273-8255. And most importantly, please remember, you matter. Hey, this is Kate. A lot of times when I think of my hobbies and my interests, I don't think about movies. I don't go to the theater very often, by which I mean I think I think the last time I was there was shortly after Christmas 2017, and it's a big deal that Willem and I are planning on going out to a movie in November of 2019. So, you know, once every two years, that sounds about right. And I don't tend to watch movies at home all that often. It just doesn't come up. I don't know. Once in a while, I'll watch some sort of classic with the kids that they just have to watch. And many of them I mentioned in this episode, so you'll, you'll hear what I mean. 
But otherwise, I don't know. It's just, it's not my thing. And a lot of times Willem will decide that he wants to watch something with the kids. And that's my time to go and get a couple hours of work done on the computer without feeling like I'm abandoning the family. So I don't know. I just, I don't think of it as being my scene. But then when I find myself in the middle of a conversation about movies, especially horror movies, I'm kind of surprised to learn that I actually am into this stuff. Like, not so much recently, but that there are some movies that were absolutely watershed moments in my life. And I guess it shouldn't shock me because, you know, kind of fucked up. (laughs) But at the same time, like, I just, I hadn't thought about it. And so that's what this conversation is about. I'm talking with Sam, whose main podcast is called Invasion of the Remake. And in the month of October, he spearheads this event called All the Horror. And it's a whole bunch of podcasters coming together. They put together special episodes. There's also special artwork. And there's merch, which he doesn't mention that in the episode. And so I really want to kind of tag it for you, I guess. I want to put it out there that... There, you know, if you go to the all the horror 18 dot wix site, w i x s i t e dot com slash event slash merch, which I will put that in the show notes because apparently I can't say it, but they have specialized merch just for this event, which is pretty cool. And all of the proceeds from the sales are going to go to a charity called Scares That Care. Which is pretty cute, like seriously. So at least go check it out. Go take some listen, see what it is that they're doing. Buy a thing. It's for a good cause and, you know, horror. So anyway, so you'll hear Sam and I as we discuss various aspects of horror and that kind of thing. And here's the crazy part. We basically stay on topic. Are you sure you really want to know? This is Ignorance Was Bliss. This is Sam from Invasion of the Remake. If you have not heard of us, you should have. We are a podcast focusing on the plague that is the remake. Every second episode, we do a fantasy remake where we take a movie that could have been good but wasn't and we remake it. But more importantly, we talk about movies that should not have been remade but were somehow. We compare that to the original and tell you what they did right and what they did wrong. I am also the primary organizer for a for an event called All the Horror. It's a huge podcasting event with over 30 podcasts contributing episodes throughout the entire month of October. We have a featured podcast every day plus bonus content. We also have writers uh, dropping content throughout the month and we also have artists. So we have expanded to 
all the horror. We are big fans of horror, and we want to make sure that you get all the horror content that we can possibly give you. And when did that, is this the... This is second year. Yeah, it started off as just a podcasting event last year with 16 podcasts, and this year we've expanded it to, uh, it's I think it's 32 or 33. It's changing every day because we keep adding and uh, adding podcasts, so um, it's growing as we speak. You guys blew up. We kind of did. It, it, it's, I mean, it, kudos to some to the podcasts who are, who've stepped in and and are doing some of the the fun stuff that we're doing, like the polls. Uh, that's uh, Drew from Real Feels has been doing that. Uh, Penance RPG has been doing a lot of our promotional stuff with videos and 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 so on. So, yeah, we really appreciate the support we get from those groups, and of course, the support from the Twitter community, who've just been amazing about sharing our content and and our our teasers and stuff everybody seems to be really into the horror genre i mean especially because it's october but i think in general like you've tapped into something in the zeitgeist of of podcasting i think so i mean it's one of those things with horror either you love it or you hate it there doesn't seem to be a middle ground so when when this season comes around it's like hey it's horror season we're really into it Audiences are really into it, and, and we see that in our own episodes where uh, our horror episodes t- typically are very popular. And it's and I'm not sure what it is about horror that makes it so popular, but as somebody who enjoys it, it doesn't matter to me why. I just do. Now, I want to go off into the horror topic for a moment, but I need to back up to something that is deeply important to my soul here. I feel... I feel very strongly about this, like homicidally strongly about this. Have you heard the rumors that they're talking about remaking The Princess Bride? I have, and it's a sin. And if they do it, it's going to be a great fucking episode because it's going to be a real rip in. Okay. Okay, good. Then you can stay on the episode and we can keep talking because otherwise it's going to be like, okay, and thanks. Good night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because. I think that's apostasy. I think Carrie Elwes, I think that's his name, the pro- proper pronunciation. Yeah. He actually went on and said, "How do you remake a perfect movie? Leave it alone." And I'm totally well, his, in agreement. His, to to quote his tweet, it was there's a shortage of perfect movies in this world. It would be a shame to damage this one. Yes. I would agree <laughs> with him 100%. Which is a total line from the first one and I love him so much. Oh my god. But yeah, I uh, okay. Okay, good. Good. You can stay. <laughs> That was awful. I mean, because, like, it's constant lately that I've seen movies that I hold near and dear that get remade. But for the most part, the ones that are really sort of, like, core to my being, they're leaving alone because I like sort of vaguely fringe movies, such as Labyrinth. Oh, or I hate to tell um, you, Kate, that one's... Stop. Sorry, they're talking about that one, too. I know they're talking about that one. And that one, I will give them that some of the green screening in the original one is not good. So there are opportunities for better um, animation and graphics design and CGI in that one. So maybe. But I mean, David Bowie, come on. You cannot replace the, the, the Goblin King. You just can't, unfortunately. I'm saying. Well, for, unfortunately or fortunately, I, did, I mean, Bowie. Both. Yes. You, you just can't. You can't. You can't. And then... Um, never ending story is 
another that I hold very close to me. And I know that they did a never ending story too, and it's not good. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm concerned because eventually they're going to stumble across it and then I'll be sad. I will keep our fingers crossed that that never happens. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Anyway. Anyway. Okay. So horror. I, I don't, I don't watch a ton of movies. Um, because I'm hard of hearing and so I rely on captioning. And that very, very often will not just... Like, with some movies, captioning messes with it a little bit because, you know, you're looking at the words and you miss the action or because it it isn't quite correctly captioned or it gives you too much information in the captioning or whatever. But in horror movies especially, there's a lot of in the way of either jump scare or suspense... Or delayed sentencing, which that was totally unintentional that I had a pause there, but you know what I mean. <laughs> and, um, and in captioning, often it comes in blocks and it will anticipate the sentence, the spoken sentence. So you'll read the caption and then you wait three seconds for the thing to actually appear on screen, which is bad for a horror movie. Oh, yeah. You lose it on your jump scares. And, it, and horror is such a visual medium. Like it, it, you, it, it really have to be watching a lot of it i mean some of it i mean if, if you're not into the, the the gory horror then you're not missing out so much if you're not looking at it but you're right there because captioning does tend to be a, just sort of a, a an instant spoiler as it were because you, you already know what's going to happen bef- just before it happens right and that irritates the other people i might be watching with as well and so fine whatever but so, like, I watch, I've watched some and enjoyed them when I do. But I'm, I wouldn't consider, like, I man, friends of mine are fanatics. And we have some of those. We all have those friends who are who are absolutely obsessed with horror, and it's really, as far as they're concerned, it's the only genre genre that exists. I mean, and as fans, I mean, we go to go to horror cons and 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 check that out. It's more as a way to sort of get in touch with our audience because a large portion of our audience is horror fans. But, but yeah, there's just, there are some people who just, it's their thing. And, and I'm not, like I said, I think when we talked about this episode, we talked about horror as a coping mechanism. Um, and I, I think to a certain extent, to any, anybody who watches it, it's, it's a way of setting aside your fears, right? Because you, you're watching this thing that is typically more horrible than anything that's going on in your real life. Yeah, I think there's different ways that it helps. Yeah, either because it outhorrors what you see or because it is what you're afraid of. And so it's sort of like exposure therapy. I think that's part of it, too. And and I, I will be honest, the, the horror that I find most uncomfortable is the stuff that could happen. Right. So like the serial killer <laughs> stuff, the stalker stuff, that's the stuff that really makes me uncomfortable. Uh, I mean, the this the it's like the slasher movies and and like the sort of the the immortal slasher movies and and the monsters and stuff like that they're just goofy fun because i know that that's not something that's going to happen right so it's escapism right but the the real life possibility horror stuff is the stuff where you're like okay that's the stuff that creeps me out and and i and and so i sort of carry with me for a little while after watching it yeah i i mean the shows that i have the movies that i have seen in the recent years like Shutter Island was one that I was like, oh, <laughs> that could be that could be a thing because of my background or because of 
places that I've worked in because Shutter Island is in Boston Harbor. Like I know exactly what facility that is based on. So yeah, that's a get in your head kind of horror, and that's and and that's what really good horror does, right? Is is it does get in your head a little bit, but it also has to be cathartic. Right? It, it, you you can't walk away or or get up from your theater or from your t- your couch or and walk away from your TV and be, and and have this thing that's actually made your you you un, long term uncomfortable. Right. What. What do you think of as the horror genres? Oh, there's so many because uh, you have—I mean, you have psychological horror, which is the stuff that does get into your head a little bit and and makes you uncomfortable. Then there's there you've got your slasher movies and you've got your monster movies and you've got your classic monster movies like the the mummies and the zombies and all that um, and and werewolves and so on. So there's—I mean, there's so many and everybody has their favorites. Like there's uh, there's one that I, I I'm not a big fan of. In fact, I typically try to avoid is the found footage type horror stuff. Um, Blair Witch. Blair Witch is not one of the ones that, that I avoid. I actually think that that's really well done. Uh, same with Paranormal Activity and and, and Houses that, that October built. But on the whole, found footage is really poorly handled because of the limitations of that particular medium. I mean, you, if you're going with the handheld cameras that your your victims are carrying, at some point they're going to drop the camera and run. You cannot... And, and right there, it defeats your film, right? So you have to be really intelligent about how you you compensate for that in the film. And so many do it poorly. Yeah, that's. I mean, I it, analogous to. I took a short story class once upon a time, and the first thing the instructor said was like, "If you're writing a first person story, you cannot kill the protagonist." And in the moment, I was like, "Well, duh, like of course you can't." But then reading classmates work and several of them did and like they didn't see that inherent problem in the storytelling and i think found footage is the same way like they're not thinking of like how how is somebody then using this and putting it together like hang on guys yeah well and some do think of it but what they don't think of is how did that footage get obtained like how did how did our our now dead protagonist take this footage when they should have been running right it, it, it diminishes the story just by the fact that they've they're running away when they sh- they, they could have be, still be alive by just putting down the damn camera and going but instead right. they're running backwards while they're trying to capture footage of this thing that's trying to kill them and it's it's, <laughs> it's an inherent flaw in in the found footage, like I said, if 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 you have if you think through how you're going to obtain that secondary footage that's so critical to making the story work, then you've already failed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I fall. I mean, that's that's a lot of why I don't watch a lot of fiction as well. Like the captioning is one issue, but another is that I don't I don't suspend disbelief very well. Not in the sense like I can get into a story, but as soon as there's a jog in the story like it's something like that where it's like that would never happen you know you you've you've skipped a step and you you've i mean my my big example is that on on crime fiction shows on tv they very often are like interviewing a killer in prison and then they somehow have to communicate information to their boss and so they just pull out their cell phone and I lose my itty bitty mind every time because I'm like, you can't have a cell phone in prison. <laughs> you can't, you can't, nobody can. 
it's not allowed. And so I lose the, the whole turn. Like I'm taken completely out of the story because I'm stuck with that. And it's similar to, you know, yeah. Would he really be running with a, with a camera backwards to catch this? Or would he drop the camera and run like hell? Like, come on. Yeah. That, and I, I mean, I'm, we talk about this on the show all the time about suspension of dis- disbelief and there it's an inherent in fiction you're right to to be able to do that but there's also has to be that balance it's like how unbelievable can you go before your audience disconnects right and horror a good horror balances that really well um and some maybe not so much some are just so over the top that they become parodies of themselves and as long as they're self-aware that's okay right where where it becomes a comedy where they know they're making a comedy right Right. No, I follow. I mean, like, for me, I, I almost have an easier time following, like, science fiction type stories than I do following, you know, a, a based on real life, based on a true story, you know, crime fiction kind of thing. Because it, as long as you're consistent to the rules that you create for your universe, I'm on it. I'm there. We're cool. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I mean that's, that's why we've so many people have fallen in love with sort of our classic sort of immortal killer stories like Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees and Freddy Krueger. You know it's there's no way that they, these these beings are still in existence and that's what makes them fun is because you know they don't exist and you still in, you, you want to find out how they come back and how creative the homicide can be in these outlandish stories about about essentially mythical beings these are these are are to a certain extent godlike creatures they are and you know when you talk about it being cathartic i think that there's a degree to which we all identify with those godlike creatures so like we need them to keep coming around and coming around and so we need there to be some sort of story that lets us be like oh okay okay and we don't necessarily identify with being that person but all of us are like i could beat him there's part of that, and I think that there, there is sort of something about it that appeals to the darker side of, of human nature that we all have. We everybody does. Is those three that I name dropped there are that are all really iconic, and people tend to identify with them to a certain extent. Like there, there are heroes in these horror movies, right? Even though you know that they're not going to win at the end, in in the end. They're still the one that you're rooting for. Right? You you want to see more of them. You want to um, follow their path versus the path of, of of our 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 final person, right? Because they're they're the ones that are interesting, right? Because they're 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 disfigured and they're immortal and they're they're um, unstoppable. Right? So they, that that's who we identify with, and that's in in a, not identify with, but who we tend to root for uh, when we're watching these movies, even though you know in the end that they're not going to win. Right. Right. So I mean, I have a, a connection with Nightmare Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, in a in a real life sense, do you know where Elm Street is based? I have no idea. It's based in Potsdam, New York. Which nobody knows where it is. Like nobody ever. It's in the middle of nowhere. the The closest towns are Montreal and Ottawa. Ooh. So yeah. it's way north, New York. Uh, it's where I went to college. And 
Wes Craven used to teach at the other college in town. So I went to Clarkson and State University of New York at Potsdam is the other school. And Wes Craven taught there. And he had like a intro to film type class of some sort. And one of his students created a, a you know, five minute whatever film that was roughly based on um, ghost stories centered in his fraternity house, which is on Elm Street. And so that's kind of what sparked the basic idea for Wes Craven, and off he went. And yeah, certainly the inspiration for the for the the name and the location for sure. I know that he was really interested in in the idea of dream demons. There was and and how to sort of they affect us. But so, was, but yeah, I think a combination of those two ideas definitely sounds like it was the the catalyst for what became one of the most successful horror franchises ever. Right. Well, that, well, I mean, that was the thing is that like the, the story in this fraternity house was that somebody would come in and, and, and invade your dreams. And that was the, the ghost in the house. And the like the creepy thing to me, like the personal connection to me was that years, years and years later, I, I don't remember how many, um, but many years later after Wes Craven had gone and done his Hollywood thing and we were just left with plain old Elm Street, is that a in that same house, the Theta Chi house, um, a 17-year-old fraternity pledge died by alcohol poisoning when I was there. And everybody was very creeped out about, like, of all of the fraternity houses in the town, it has to be that one. Yeah, that adds a certain cap to the whole story, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, but there's another, like, he has a movie called The People Under the Stairs. Oh, I love that movie. That's based on my husband's fraternity. And I could, sh- like, I could dig around and find i'm sure photos where you would see you look at it and you're like that's the movie set you know and it's not it's just inspired by yeah quite heavily apparently but exactly i mean you got to get your your i mean it's not copied in any sense it's just inspired by this this tiny little town in upstate new york which it's just kind of funny because nothing ever happens there so location 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 it doesn't have to be a bit it doesn't have to be big it just has to be available right yeah true right. and small towns tend to be the inspiration for a lot of this stuff i mean you think about because the isolation is part of of horror right part well, plus they're, they're horrible so yeah. <laughs> there's, that. there's that and and part of it's too is just the nature of horror film in particular is it tends to be fairly low budget so you tend you so you have smaller casts Right. Typically, cast up and coming actors or actors who are st- who are just starting to get into the in, into to to film, but so by having a smaller environment, you can also have that smaller cast makes sense, right? Um, and then, of course, as I said, isolation is a is a big thing is, is is not being able to get help. Yeah, and 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 with that, you know, you talk another sort of to me sort of coping mechanism. I I said before, like, we all kind of fantasize, like, I could get away with the monster, I could survive. And I think, especially from a female point of view, there is a almost therapeutic value to that of being like, I'm going to rehearse the the bad thing so that I feel more likely to be able to survive it. So I'm going to make sure I keep my keys in my hand. I'm going to make sure I have a flashlight that works. I'm not going to go down to the dark basement alone. Like, you know, I'm not going to scream when I run. Things like that, which are actually legitimate survival skills. Yeah, I'm not going to run upstairs where there's no exit 
if something's chasing me, right? right. Like so, some pretty common sense things that are have become movie tropes is running in the worst possible direction. Uh, there's a joke about how uh, the, uh, especially this time of year, you'll see it is people uh, posting things with the, with one of our famous slasher guys saying, "I'm not going to chase her, chase her. I'm just going to wait until she trips and falls down." They always trip and fall down, right? It's <laughs> and it's it's true. There's there's these tropes that that have kind of permeated the horror culture. That there's some really great filmmakers out there who are trying to break those. But you know, the fact that they exist, though, to a degree going through the process of the movie and thinking it through that way and then later rehearsing mentally like what would i do that's a survival skill that's how a lot of people cope with anxiety oh for sure is you know if they if they think through even if it's as simple as i have to make a phone call tomorrow and i hate making phone calls and like personally this is a very personal thing for me is that i hate making phone calls and i don't know why like, I, 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 it's never as bad as I think it's going to be, but man, I resist it. Like, I, I even resent that my local CVS has recently switched dial pad, enter your prescription, to a speak out loud, enter your prescription, and I hate that. Like, that's how much I hate the phone. And so if I know I have to make a phone call, I rehearse it. You know, I rehearse what I'm going to say. I decide to myself what time of day I'm going to make the call, and then I kind of hold myself to it, like... I'm not going to do this other thing that I really want to do until I make that call. Like all of that sort of, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, putting the whole scene together and I go through it several times until I feel sort of as prepared as I can feel. And even then I still making, hate making the phone call. But I feel like that's what a lot of horror movies can do is like it's like with, for women, some of our darkest fear is being chased by a stranger with nefarious intent. Um, I don't think that's actually a legitimate fear, but it's a fear that, like, it's a realistic fear. It's not, let me reword it. I don't think it's a realistic fear, but it is a legitimate fear. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I, I do. And, and I mean, unfortunately, it's to a certain extent realistic because it does happen. Well, but it doesn't. Uh, not it doesn't, though. Like, statistically, as far as crime legitimately in the real world is concerned stranger crime is super rare super uncommon it and is, yes. it is not it's that's what i mean it's a legitimate fear meaning we have it and it's real but it's not a realistic fear in the sense that statistically you need to be more afraid of the people you already know that yes absolutely that's exactly right so it it's an extremely remote possibility but legitimate, as, as you said there, I think that's a, a really good way of putting and it. And I think that we wrap our – I think we, we, we attach onto that in some ways because we don't want to think about our partner, our siblings, our parents, our neighbors as being a threat because you're so close to them. You're so vulnerable to them. I don't want to think about that. And so I'm kind of going to shut my brain off to that and I'm going to focus instead on it feels scary to be alone at night. It's quiet, and so I can have more scary thoughts, and then I can imagine a stranger coming after me. And so then that becomes the fear we latch on to because we can't really face the ones that are actually more likely or are already happening. Yeah, that's escapism, like escaping from from the things that you really should be aware of is part of, of, of all entertainment in general, to be honest, but, but certainly horror gives you sort of two tools there is is one is that it gives you that that's 
hour and a half, two hours to escape from whatever's happening in your real life. But also, as you said, it, it also reminds us of the, of the tools that we have in real life. Right. And so, and I mean, it feels a little better when you have it in your head, like, okay, I'm gonna go out the back door and I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna scream and I'm not gonna go into the basement. I'm not gonna go upstairs. I'm gonna keep my keys on hand. Like, all of those things, they do help in a way because then on the off chance that you're assaulted by a stranger, you've got at least some tools in your head other than screaming and running into a dark basement. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and the interesting thing about horror, and uh, there's, there's been so much discussion on this, is the final girl trope, is a lot of people are like, uh, have, have sort of discussed the fact that this, that it does, it, it it's actually a, a misogynistic trope, because it's always a girl. But at the same time, it's also acknowledging the strength of women because it's because it's always a girl, right? And she's a strong, powerful character who grows throughout the film, right? So it's one of those areas where people are are kind of divided on whether or not it's 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 something that that could or should continue. Right? I mean, you always need a final person, right? That, that unless you're you're going into the 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 unhappy ending territory of horror, which um, can sometimes be satisfying as well is seeing the consequences of of your your actions. Sure. Talk to me more about the final girl trope. Okay, so it, it's I mean Laurie Strode in Halloween is probably the one, one of the, the sort of first and most iconic. Is there's always a sort of a, a, your your central character, your 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 protagonist is. At least in the in the, in the late seventies, early eighties, right up until the nineties, typically tended to be a an attractive female in her late teens, early twenties, and she tends to be the object of the the slasher killers focus. Uh, we, so we had Nancy in Nightmare on Elm Street. We had Laurie Strode in the Halloween films are both really great examples of that, where that's the, the character that we're, we're focused on as the audience. And they tend to start off uh, unprepared for what's about to happen to them, which is, makes sense, right? I mean, you're not prepared for some psychopathic killer stalking you. I mean, one and would they, hope. <laughs> One would hope, um, but as as the movie progresses, obviously, even though they're terrified, they show their inner strength by defeating this godlike killer um, through through whatever means necessary through through uh, preparing or like like in Nightmare on Elm Street, where she researches and she comes up with plans to to trap him or defeat him. Um, or in the, the, the Halloween movies where she outwits him on the fly by tricking him into a situation where he's or, or drawing him into a situation where he can be stopped. But a lot of people are saying, saying well, this is an outdated trope. And, and to a certain extent it is because it's it, because by definition, a trope is something that's already outdated. But a lot of people are saying that well this is this is this is a misogynistic trope and i'm i'm not sure that i agree with that because it does show progression and strength in women i i, I mean they are our hero so what what are what is the argument to call it misogynistic then 
And, and that's the part I don't understand. And I, I don't, I can honestly say I haven't done enough reading on, on these arguments to, to say whether or not they, the, the arguments are valid. And I, I will be honest, I am looking at this from a male point of view. So I may not necessarily uh, be understanding it from the female point of view. But but I, the way I, I do see it is we have these strong female characters that are the the hero, right? and and I don't see how that can be wrong. I mean, it can be wrong in the sense that first of all, she's she's played off a male antagonist, right? And so there's a certain degree of like she's only a hero in comparison to him, and she wouldn't be a hero if he didn't exist. So that's that's one aspect. Another aspect is that they tend to overemphasize a degree of like outward influences on her intelligence do you know what i mean like she doesn't come up with the idea on her own she has to find it somewhere someone tells her or whatever um so i mean i can see aspects of it i mean i think misogyny is sort of a culturally ingrained thing right now and so if it's a last woman standing kind of idea that's better than a last man standing well, and, and there's, yeah, that's certainly part of it. I, I, I think that, like any art form or 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 medium, I think that the the key thing that we're looking for is balance, and that might be part of it as well. Is it's always a girl, right? We're seeing less of that now, but but for the longest time, it was always a final girl. So I think maybe that was the uh, part of the argument too. Is well, it's always a woman who's the victim. Well, because you need that. There's a certain degree of it's always a man who's the the bad guy and you, or the villain, and it's always a woman who's the the final victim and you know or final person standing, whatever. And so there's a certain like it has to be a male female gender dynamic, and that gets a little it's outdated. It is outdated, absolutely, and and we're we are seeing more, like I said, more balance where we're seeing fe- more f- female centric horror that is balanced in the sense that we have female villains or gender neutral villains right where they, where they are there where there is no gender and and your your heroes tend to be families rather than than individuals and it, it's it, it's an interesting dynamic and an interesting change a tonal change in horror um, there's a good example of the quiet places another one that with that where it's it's about the family family dynamic and the the villain the villain is a, is is a monster, right? So the, those are the kind of things where where we're seeing that change. Yeah, and I mean, I, I guess like for a lot of things, I tend to get very. It's very easy for me to see the gender disparity, uh, culturally and socially, and you know, just in daily life. But I'm actually willing to forgive it in a lot of media, especially non-fiction. Or, Especially in fiction media. Like, I don't, it, it, when it's, if it's a documentary, I try, if I have two to choose from, I try to go for one that's directed by a woman. If it's a story, I prefer to pr- consume works that are produced by women when I can because I feel like their voices were not heard for such a long time. But when it comes to fictional horror kind of stuff, I, you know, or just comedy or things where, like, everybody understands this is not a real thing. This is fiction at its finest. Then I'm more willing to forgive a degree of misogyny or gender inequality or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Because 
it's a product of its time. Well, and I think that modern film, like current film, they're doing a good job of balancing. I hate using the word balancing, but it's it, but it's it's important. Is when you do have the misogyny, it feeds the story where it make it, it's now contextual, right? Whereas in older medium, it was more. It's just the way it was, right? So because we're aware of it now. Right? We're aware that this is a problem, and, and we should have been aware of it back then, and, and we probably were. We just sort of turned our blind eye to it, but we're not able to anymore, um, which is a good thing. So, because especially when you consider Hollywood is a misogynistic community, right? It's it's always been up, up until recently focused on the male power dynamic. I was going to say the fucking patriarchy, but sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that that works too. <laughs> Which is its own horror story. Um, no, I think that the pendulum swings, and so I, I one of the problems I guess that I have, like another way of wording it, is that it's hard for me to fully engage in crit- critiques and criticism when the speaker is looking at a movie that was made thirty years ago through the lens of today. That is the tricky thing, and that's another thing that we discuss is is when you look at these what are considered classic horror now, when they were made, it was a different time, and the dynamics were different, and the social politics were different. Mm-hmm. I, again, whether or not they they're they're acceptable now is 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 not really relevant when you're when you look at it in context. Uh, I mean, if it were to be made today, absolutely, you would need to take all those things into consideration. But I don't think that you should judge past works on today's criteria. You're right. I mean, Citizen Kane, 12 Angry Men, The Wizard of Oz, like all of them have gender challenges, gendered challenges, but they are amazing movies as they are. And so I feel like leave them as they are, as representative of the state of the art at the time. And now I look at today, like make something better, not remake something, make something better. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Be, be creative and, and, and make sure that you're giving us something new. I mean, we don't necessarily object to remakes, but quit making stuff that's already good. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right, that's the key part. Is don't make the stuff that's already good. They 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 insist on going back to the well. I mean, we're we we see it in horror all the time. I mean, it's probably the most guilty of the remake phenomenon. Right, I mean, when we see remakes of Japanese films and Korean films and French films and and of classic films. I mean, West Craven West Craven's been remade. A billion times. A few yeah. times. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you've, you've got remakes of, of Nightmare on Elm Street and you've got remakes of, of The Hills Have Eyes. And I mean, certainly uh, Rob Zombie's version of Halloween, um, while well revered, is it was, was it really necessary? No. Mm-hmm. Right. So those are all things that horror is kind of guilty of, as, as are, well, Hollywood, but horror seems to be the, the one they really like to go back to. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, and, and I, I, of the horror that I find more intriguing now, like I really enjoy when they start to like, when they start the, the, I can't name any films off the top of my head, but the concept of of films that start to use, say your computer 
your, you know, single white female, that kind of idea as well, like the stocky kind of feeling or the computers or the phones being the bad guys or the ring, you know, those kinds of ideas, like bring it modern. I love that stuff. Um, oh, yeah, because it's staying contemporary, right? right? It's 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 exposing us, exposing us to our inherent fears, right? Is yeah, Pulse is a really good one. Um, that's, I mean, not necessarily a good movie, but a good example of where technology becomes the becomes the, the the evil, right? Where they're using technology in order to to access us and 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 eliminate human beings as as an entity. But playing on the fears that that are current to us, right? Because especially like our, our increasing reliance on technology. Yeah, that's a, a big thing, right? And some of us are, well, a lot of people are are hypocrites about it, to be honest. It's like, yeah, put down your phone, put down your phone as they're sitting on their phone, putting that, sharing that that that, that meme or 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 that that post saying, you know what be engaged right and but you know what be honest with yourself you know what i spend a lot of time on my device i know that right but when it's appropriate for me to be on it or or when i shouldn't be on it i'm not right i know how to put it down and i think that there are people that just cannot yeah or have chosen not right right and that's a, a big difference is a decision and it's like well do i really need to be talking to my 44 instagram followers when i could be talking with my sister my brother my aunt my uncle my mother um my grandparents whoever it might be right and then i think that that's what some of these movies play on is is this addiction that has become social media and electronic devices see i have a little bit of a different take on it only because i don't inherently value blood family any more than I value chosen family. And I do feel like my pocket friends are tremendously important to my mental health, that I'm not able to physically get out there in the world in the same way as other people are. And so having social media, having pocket friends does allow me a connection there. But as difficult as it is to do sometimes, like I do know how to put it down. I do know how to step away. And I have, <laughs> I have proof of that this morning is I, I, you know, is that like, I know I've been on my phone a little bit too much lately because I was away from my phone for like three hours and I, and I pull it back on to like, I don't know, eight texts or something from people. But one of them was like, did I say something wrong? Are you mad at me? Because usually they respond faster. And I'm like, okay, that's my sign. Like I need to step away a little bit. But at the same time, these people are there for me at the drop of a hat. Like when, 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 when shit has hit my fan this year, social media saved my sanity, like 100%. So I have this mix. Like I understand when people are like, put down your phone, but then I'm like, well, but why? What do you want me to pick up instead? So it's a weird, I don't know. Well, it is. And and like I said, I mean, I was more referring to those moments when you should be interacting with somebody face to face, whether that be chosen family or, mm-hmm. or, or, or blood family. But there are times where that phone should not be in your hand. Oh, it's true. Right. Whether that's be at a, at a, when you're at dinner with friends yep. or with fr- with family or you're at a social occasion where it's like, you know, if something happens and you, know, you, you get this emergency text or buzz then yeah you know it's fine you excuse yourself politely and say i I gotta take this i'll be right back but it's the constant where they're not where they're sitting they're all sitting there on their device and instead of interacting with each other they're interacting with somebody who's not 
physically present at the time. I mean, okay, totally fair. I don't have a life. So, <laughs> so that's one thing is that I don't ever go out. But no, I, I, I do, I firmly agree there. Like with my kids, I work very hard on like, I get the, the pull of a phone. I get the addictive quality of a game, whether it's on the phone or a computer or whatever. And so that's all fine. But I want you to feel physically uncomfortable if you are in sharing a room, sharing air with a person and you pick up your device. Like, I want that to feel wrong. I, I do want my kids and myself to value face-to-face time, oh, you know, to prioritize face-to-face time over phone time if both are occurring at the same moment. So I do agree with that. Yeah, and that's and that's the the point. I think some of these films are trying to make, and 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 horror is a great medium for that because it if you're if you're getting the right horror and you're getting the right creators, they can also share a message about whatever is happening in our in in the current climate, whether that be socio political or environmental or just in general behavior that's prevalent at the time. I think it's a good way of of um, communicating what's happening and, and bringing people's attention to what we should be paying attention to. Yeah. The guys, so horror and social commentary, which, you know, in the U S in the current administrative environment, yes. Horror is social commentary and vice versa. <laughs> That's yeah, certainly um, a reality. It is. And, so there's that. <laughs> I'm not talking politics with you. You made me do it last time. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> no, no. Let's let's stay off that train. Uh, it's a scary, scary train. Um, so I one one film that I have a I have two two horror films I guess that have tremendously shaped my life. And one I guess is pretty obvious if you if you know me if you think about my career is that sort of thing is Silence of the Lambs, like. I love that movie with a love that is more than love. And it is some incredible filmmaking with some incredible performances. It's and and of course, if you have sort of a history or an, an affinity for the, 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 for, for mental care, then it's, it's just that much more impactful. I'm sure. And I mean, just, I like, I, I legit might eventually get the death head moth tattooed somewhere. Like that's how much I love that film. It, it's it, well, and it still stands up. It's one of those movies that you can rewatch and go, yeah, you know, it, it's still good. Um, and again, that's due to the, the amazing performances by everybody in that film. I really hope. That, please don't let them. Like, I would like you to personally go to Hollywood and stop them from remaking it, if you would, please. <laughs> well, we if if that happens, we will definitely be um, making sure that our concerns and displeasure are heard. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, they, they've they already remade one of the Hannibal films, but it mm. was more to bring it into canon because the, the Red Dragon was originally remade, was originally made in the 80s as a film. Right, and then Ray Fiennes yeah. in the remake, right? That's right, yes. And I mean, I have a thing for Ray Fiennes, so there's that <laughs> and it's 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 not it's not a bad remake it's it, it's definitely one of the better ones and it, like i said it was to bring it into canon it was to make sure that we had that consistency of anthony hopkins as hannibal lecter well, all and the i way mean through. red dragon in 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 the presence of silence of the lambs red dragon fades to obscurity like sorry rafe like it just is what it is um but so there's there's one that'll be very upset the other film 
That one's just a, like, that has a mark on me. I haven't watched it with my kids yet, I don't think. My older kids, let me be clear. My nine and seven-year-old have to wait a little bit longer before I watch this stuff with them. Um, but the other film that, that has a big role that I just recently watched with my daughter is the movie Seven. Oh, what a, that's, you know what? I've only ever seen that movie once because it, it's one of those movies that just have affected me so powerfully. I'm like, it's one of those things I just, I'm not sure I can ever watch it. And it's one of those great movies that I ever, only ever want to watch. Uh, it's, once. it's profound. So I have a great story. So the first time I watched that movie, I was in high school and it was on a date of sorts. And so fond thoughts to Derek out there. I, Loved that date. That date stands out. It was like the best date ever. So Derek Pruden, California somewhere, hats off. Because instead of seeing it at like the local Cineplex, he found this this theater. And so I grew up in Binghamton, New York, which is sort of, it's a very, very small version of Detroit in the sense that like it used to be fairly industrialized and it has just sort of faded out. And there's not a whole lot of revitalization that's going on, especially when I was there in the 90s. And he found this theater on Main Street that was like, it was perfect in terms of like the old sort of velvet wallpaper, you know, that is fading and strips are sort of peeling down. And there's this like decrepit chandelier that's only half lit. And the seats are also velvet and they're, they're, you know, bare patches on them and whatever. And so it's just this like this really atmospheric old almost opera house but not quite feel to it you know very opulent but shabby and we're watching this movie and there's only again like another aspect to this is there's only like i don't know six people in the entire theater so that was cool and i'm just sitting there watching it and we're having movie theater popcorn and we get into one of the more intense scenes um i believe it's the gluttony scene that has a cat featured like it just shows up on screen and right about the same time within moments something brushes up against my legs and i died like just dead i'm dead in a movie theater in in binghamton new york somewhere (laughs) because there it turns out this movie theater had resident cats that you know they were like they weren't feral they were kept by the movie theater owner but they were allowed to roam free during performances and it scared the bejesus out of me but in the i can imagine you know what I mean? but in the best way like when else like if this happens during a disney movie it's like oh how cute but it happens during the movie seven like aha instant death amazing so that was cool and i watched it with my daughter i don't know six months ago or something and when we were done her quote specifically was what and i cannot stress this enough the fuck and i was like that that is so cool that that movie hangs up 30 years you know 20 years later and uh i was delighted so those are my that's my canon those are my sort of top films and so i think i'm a little bit reticent to see new horror films now because both they're on the one hand they're not going to meet those benchmarks those plus Blair Witch like there's a story about watching that with my husband and then we went to bed and I was I don't know 
eight or nine thousand months pregnant by this point, and there was noise. We lived in the woods in New Hampshire at the time, and there's a noise outside, and I made my husband go check it out, and like he's armed with a flashlight and nothing else, you know. And uh, I just laid in bed and let him sacrifice himself to whatever happened out there. He's still alive. Well, fair enough. That's exactly. <laughs> all that matters so like i have these on the one hand these are my benchmarks but on the other hand i don't want anything to top my benchmarks well that's i think the challenge for any movie viewer particularly horror viewers is you want to hang on to your favorites as tightly as you can but you also want something that's really going to to thrill you and engage you and and at least threaten those benchmarks. I mean, I'm always a big fan of, of being blown away. I don't, I mean, I don't care about the genre and, and I, I don't, I don't hold on to anything too tightly in terms of, of my entertainment. There are a few things like there's certain authors and stuff like that where they're, nobody's ever going to take them out of my heart as, as they're my number one authors. But as far as films go, it's, it's, it's a, a visual entertainment medium and I'm not going to say I have a particular favorite, but I do like to see really well done horror films. I mean, I've, I've already talked about A Quiet Place. Um, uh, Get Out is another piece of filmmaking genius. Um, Hereditary is one that I haven't seen yet, so I can't judge it. But there's a lot of these films that are coming out that are reinventing the genre. And that's what's really exciting about horror right now. What needs to happen to make it better? Like, what is your idea of here's the better direction for the, the, the genre to go and here's the worst direction? Well... I think the worst direction is to keep relying on the same things that we've relied on for 40 years, which is the, that sort of that, the, the things we already talked about, the, 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 the tropes that we, that we see all the time, like the running up the stairs when you should be running out the back door and uh, looking behind you when you're, when you should be looking forward, all those things have their place, but they don't benefit the genre either. I think that what's been working or has been working is the stuff we are, we did talk about. What is this? Is the stuff that plays on what's happening now and makes us aware of it and makes it scary to us somehow. And I think being visually interesting is part of it as well. Like the the really important, like the one thing that makes the these films I just mentioned is is the way they look as well. Is there there's there was a period of time there where everything was sort of swathed in this blue light um, in horror and now they're using sort of vibrant colors and and they're using really clean shots to to give you a really a real sense that you're part of the story um, I watched a one, one of my favorite movies the last probably three or four years was a French film called the strange color of your body's tears um, and I watched it just because of the name uh, and I was stunned by how beautiful it was to to just look at aside aside from the the, taking a a story that we all sort of already know and making it new again so there's remakes and then there's remakes well i mean yeah i mean it was especially in the horror genre is is there's only only so many wells that you can dip into right it's so you when you dip into that well the key thing is me is is make sure that Whatever you're mixing, you what you've what you've drawn out of the well, with is 
is interesting and new. So you're, it's, it's like being in a kitchen when you're when you're cooking without a recipe is you need to take the stuff you know and then add your own spice to it I guess is the best analogy I can give you uh, um, particularly with horror is so I mean there's not a lot of new stories but there are new ways to tell them I would like to see um, I, I would like a new profession actually to occur in the world which is like a consultant psychologist for horror do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how to word it better, but, but there are, like, you know, whether it's from things such as what are the actual protocols to get into and out of a mental hospital or, or a prison or whatever, because it's not that hard to do it accurately and you can do it dramatically and be accurate. And so I want somebody whose job it is to be available for that sort of thing that he, that film directors use, but also just to have a more nuanced recognition of how human beings might react in this given actual situation because i think that i would get more engaged in movies if i knew i wasn't going to sit there and roll my eyes well and like like they, like they do with the police procedural stuff where they try where they they have like an on a former police officer or or an expert in law enforcement on saying well no there's no way this would happen mm-hmm. right and that's and we do need to see more more of that sort of quality control in our other movie genres, not just horror, but it just in general is, is make sure that you're not alienating part of your audience by being so wrong that it's noticeable. I mean, there's, there's a whole, and, and this is, it's going to have to be a topic on my show. And I know that there's at least one or two other podcasts devoted to this. And I, 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 I'm not going to name them right, right off the top of my head. Cause it's not in front of me. And I don't want to get it wrong, but there's at least a couple of podcasts that are that are dedicated to pointing out ways in which mental illness specifically is handled badly in films. And the more attention that goes to that, the better, as far as I'm concerned. I think that that comes down to, again, what we were talking about is is not just acknowledging the things that are happening, but being cognizant of the way we're treating everything in film uh, or in media in general is be you i mean there's there has to be a balance between being sensitive and oversensitive but you do need to be sensitive to these things well there's i mean you could be sensitive but still dramatic and interesting it doesn't have to be all like oh for sure snowflakey and weak which is pathetic because most of the snowflakes i know are badass so fuck that but that, that you know it's possible to be cognizant and careful with another person's feelings and still be dramatic and hardcore agreed as treat it accurately and honestly but don't i you know i talked about it before is is don't take it to the point of parody right and that's that what we see all too often is is through lack of understanding we are unintentionally well not we but but Films and, and and writers are unintentionally diminishing yeah. uh, something that's that that really is should be recognized and, and and treated with respect. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, do you have like parting thoughts, parting words before we wrap up? Because I don't want to, I don't want to speak for you on it. No, just uh, obviously, thank you for having me on. Uh, reminder to um, check us out um, uh, at Invasion Remake. Uh, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, Libsyn, Radio Public, Blueberry, all the podcatchers. And 
If you're not already following us on Twitter, make sure you do add Invasion Remake and all the horror. Make sure it's all you follow all the horror 18 if you want to catch out all the horror stuff that we're doing. Uh, and of course, on Facebook, we have all the horror as well as Invasion Remake or Invasion of the Remake on Facebook and Instagram. This was definitely one of those moments where I kind of learned more about myself than I thought I was going to learn. Just in terms of like, before I started, I actually posted to a couple of friends and in a group saying like, oh my God, I have to go on this this interview with this guy who's really smart and he knows about all these things. Somebody tell me something smart to say about horror because I don't know anything. And I try not to do research in terms of the topic prior to talking to somebody unless I've been asked to. So I was really walking in feeling both blind and stupid, you know. And then it turns out I do have things to say and I do have thoughts about this, especially the way Sam worded them because he's super smart and a sweetheart and we just adore him. But also, like, there are sociological and psychological aspects to horror that have a lot of specific meaning into my life. So that's a thing. And as well, I do have just specific films that I'm like, first of all, don't touch it. Back away from the Princess Bride. Don't touch it. And Seven and Silence of the Lambs. Like, just, just, just leave them alone. Like, I'm never gonna watch any remake of that anyway because I'm afraid I would cry after I hurt somebody. So, <laughs> there, there's that. But just, I was interested in realizing that though I don't think of myself as being into this genre, I am in a corner of it, at the very least. I'm like, horror adjacent. Didn't you feel better before you knew that? Sam, it's always fun to talk, and I really appreciate your time. So thank you for that. And I hope this helps get the word out. Like, that was the point of this. That's why we stayed on topic, was to try to get more merch sold and get more attention to it, both for the charity aspect of it and just for the fact that, like, this is sort of an undervalued aspect of entertainment and society right now. And so I hope that people kind of tune in and think a little bit more about what they're consuming and, you know, all of the things. Thank you guys for listening. My next episode coming out in a couple of days is a super fun conversation with a guy who has a book coming out and I cannot wait to get my hands on it. Like, oh my God, words fail. So I'm just putting that out there. And so you'll hear that interview in a couple of days. Until then, stay sane.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Feel deluged by the hundreds of music tracks released every day? Well, I spend days and days listening for good music from around the world so you don't have to. I discard the rest and play the best on my podcast called Radio Clash. From crazy covers to manic mashups, rock, pop, punk, Arabic funk, Soviet disco, African hip hop, country, and Western, we've played it all since November 2004. In fact, we were one of the first UK podcasters. Listen now at radioclash.com or your favorite podcast platform. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.